fun job. You know, it's it's really fun being able to bring other people into the fold and help them discover how passionate they are and how they can make a difference beyond just our team. Because, you know, to Chloe's point, so many teams are so small. We can't do it all. We need, we need those champions. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore, and hey, I want all of y'all to stand fast because I haven't said this in a long time, but I'm here with Chloe Goodry-Reed, and in today's episode, we're building bridges between worlds of tech and supplier diversity. We're absolutely thrilled to have Lamicia Butler here with us, who is currently the program manager for supplier diversity at none other than Meta. Lamicia's journey is nothing short of fascinating. From aspirations of being a sports reporter to PR roles that celebrated diversity in country music, and then making significant impact through innovations like Super Bowl 50's 50 Fund and Hurricane Harvey's Relief Fund. And now she's amplifying diverse supplier stories at one of the world's most recognizable tech giants. Lamicia, it is a pleasure to have you on the show with us today. Hi, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I was saying you've had some heavyweights, so I have some big shoes to fill here. Uh, if, if we, we love everybody on this show, so we're glad to, glad to have all of y'all. And you're a heavyweight as well. I, I love I love your career path. And, and speaking of that, and Adam did a great intro, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about all the different hats that you've worn and how you moved into the current role into supplier diversity at Meta. My career path, I say sometimes people look at it, it's a little untraditional to get to supplier diversity, but I think the underlying theme there is diversity, equity, and inclusion um, in all of the work that I've been doing. Uh, so as Adam mentioned, I started out, I thought I wanted to be a sports reporter. I wanted to be the next Robin Roberts. Um, but it was in that um, experience as I was interning at the local news station in San Antonio uh, that I realized that I didn't want to be in front of the camera, but I still love telling stories. And so um, that led me to decide to really pursue what I was actually studying in school, which was public relations. And I worked for the San Antonio Spurs in the PR team. And then um, after graduation, I moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, where I worked as a publicist uh, for the company at the time was Scripps Networks, and they owned HGTV, Food Network, DIY, Living, Shop at Home. And I was hired to work on two of the networks. And then also handle diversity PR for the company, which was something that was new to them. They were really starting to ramp up their DEI efforts. And then the day I started, they said, oh, by the way, you're from Texas and we just bought a country music network. So we're going to add that to your plate as well. So, you know, just, <laughs> we need to build out a strategy for that as well. So, yeah, yes. fun, fun times. But, There's the you know, fire hose. Yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, but it, it was all good. It was all a great experience in, in learning about, you know, really telling the stories of why some of our talent, our on-air talent, and then also uh, the people in their offices, like why diversity mattered and really helping the company start to promote our efforts. And so, you know, during the four years I was there, I really realized, okay, I have a heart for community. I'm a Houston native and we had Hurricane Ike come through um, our city and it really did a lot of damage. And so I decided, you know what, I want to move back to my community and have an impact. 
So I came back and I was an entrepreneur. I was working with nonprofits, decided, you know what? Uh, I don't just want to do PR anymore. I want to help with some of these larger managerial strategic decisions. So I enrolled in business school. I came out of that um, working in the nonprofit sector, really as like an internal consultant sometimes to these uh, nonprofits. I was working for an organization called REDF and we funded social enterprises. So these were businesses run by nonprofits started specifically to help people with barriers to employment. And so that was, you know, by far, you know, one of those days people talk about like getting up and smiling and being ready for work. Like that was, again, one of those opportunities. Um, I did that for two years and then decided I wanted to make a transition. Again, I felt this magnet pulling me back to Houston. Um, so I decided to leave Red F. But then one of my colleagues that I've met, who's my now manager, uh, spoiler alert, uh, he was working on Super Bowl 50. And he said, hey, you know, I know you have a heart for sports and community, and I have this project that we're working on. Um, we want to have the most giving Super Bowl ever. And then we also um, are going to run the NFL Supplier Diversity Program. You know, would you like to join me? And it was an immediate, like, in a easy yes. So um, that's where I really start to dig my heels into supplier diversity. The ironic thing being that when I was in grad school, I'd actually um, served as a fellow at the Greater Houston Black Chamber of Commerce. So I was on the other side advocating for businesses with corporates, trying to get them to meet with our local businesses. Um, and so it was like a full circle moment for me to work on that for Super Bowl 50. Super Bowl LI was in Houston the following year. So then I was able to be the director of community relations for that and run that program. Um, those programs were great for us. You know, we had the impact of um, you know, millions of dollars going to diverse suppliers in those communities as a result of those programs and, you know, uh, creating these wonderful partnerships and visibility for organizations like um, the Houston LGBT Chamber, which was relatively new. And so partnering with them and giving them the opportunity to put their business out front or put their organization out front. And then, it's Houston, so hurricane season hit again and Hurricane Harvey happened after the Super Bowl. And I was uh, called upon from the relationships I'd made during our um, Super Bowl experience to run the Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund. Uh, that was by far the most intense experience I've ever had. I thought Super Bowl and like two back-to-backs were uh, crazy, but uh, we did five grant rounds within eight months. Um, we had 114 dollars to give out to the community uh, to make sure that we were serving. So it was a really intense experience, but, it, you know, the work that we did, the partnerships and just, again, the ability to bring diversity and equity into the process was really great because we were able to say, you know, we want to make sure that we're getting organizations that are led by people of color and making sure that the communities that, you know, are going to these organizations because they're trusted, that they're also included in this experience. So changing the way grant making was traditionally done was actually really cool. So that's, that's my, I, I, you know, I love, I love instituting and instigating change and, you know, including diversity wherever I can. So that's my work. I love that. That is awesome. I mean, I love hearing how our highly engaged supplier diversity managers have kind of come into the position. And Lamisia's story is not just like everybody else's. Everybody has, you know, it's, it's, they're different. But the similarity is nobody came out of college going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be the supplier diversity person, right? It just kind of your, your natural passions and propensity for community and, you know, wanting to drive change 
is just something that has to be um, coherent. You know, it just has to be part of your makeup to be a supplier diversity manager. And and I just love hearing that ooze out of Lamesia's story. That is amazing. Yeah, I would say, yeah, echo your comments. I think that the one common thread through all of our guests is the passion that they have around this is just part of their DNA. And no matter what everyone's career path was, it is about success and making sure that minorities have a seat at the table. So I love that and amplifying the voices of the underserved, which leads me to my next question. So with your PR background and storytelling, Part of what I feel like is a challenge within supplier diversity is really telling that story, both internally and externally. How has your experience, you know, and background in PR really kind of helped you with storytelling in your various roles and now here at Meta? Yeah. And I should say, you know, kind of adding on to the last question, the reason why I joined Meta uh, was, again, an enticement from Jason Tremieux, but, you know, he talked about uh, how they wanted to change how they were doing supplier diversity at at the time it was Facebook, now Meta. And one of the things was being very transparent about our impact and developing our first ever impact report that we would put out that no one, no one was requiring us to do that. It was just something that we felt we should do. And I was like, sign me up. Yep. I'm, I'm all about this. Um, because part of that is storytelling. And I know that data plays an important part of storytelling. It's one thing to say, yes, we help diverse suppliers, or yes, we want to make sure diverse suppliers have opportunity. But really, what is that opportunity and how much are you giving to people? So I think one of the things that um, I think has been helpful in my PR background is that I sit back sometimes and I think about like, what is the true story here? Um, and then I also understand, you know, again, from journalism, you know, it's it's that heart it's the hard part of it. Um, people need to understand the diverse supplier stories. They need to hear, you know, what is it about this supplier that makes them special and unique in order to just even hook them sometimes to get their attention first before we can talk to them about why it makes good business sense. You know, sometimes you have to lead with the heart part of it. Um, and so for me, you know, in my work at Meta, as I've been responsible for our marketing and comms for our team, we have an external Facebook, we have an external Instagram, we're consistently telling the stories of our diverse suppliers. And so I'm looking for a story that will, one, help diverse suppliers understand like how to do business with Meta, but then also the types of services that Meta buys. Um, and then, you know, like what's their experience? What have they learned and what can help someone else in the future? So um, we're also telling these stories internally and, you know, how teams have learned to partner with diverse suppliers, how they've learned to adjust their thinking and their mindsets um, or even their processes to make sure that they're able to incorporate diverse suppliers. So I'm always looking for like, you know, what is the lead? Making sure that we don't bury the lead. Um, and we're, we're coming forth with that, you know, um, Within Facebook, we have a we have a product called Workplace that is essentially Facebook for work. And so, you know, we have our own supplier diversity cross-functional and FYI page where we are giving updates consistently of what we're doing, how we're reaching out to suppliers. And, you know, it works. You know, I, I went to NGLCC a couple of weeks ago. I wrote up my recap, put it out there. Wasn't really expecting much. One of our colleagues, you know, commented, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad to see we're still working with this organization. Thanks for your commitment. And then that resulted in 
he had two additional invites for two other, you know, events. And he's like, Hey, this is going to talk about diversity. I think diverse suppliers would be interested. And so just being able to bring others into the fold, keeping it top of mind, um, because everyone has something that they can make that connection to. And so, you know, it's finding those angles and making sure that we're telling everything we're doing global, globally and domestically. So I think you just brought up a best practice that I don't see a lot of supplier diversity managers doing, right? And all too often, we send our SD teams out into the world. They go and do great work. And then it is crickets and silence when they come back. And you said you wrote up a recap and put it on your intro. I'm going to say intranet. I know it's Facebook for work, but not all of us are as fancy as meta. And it's, (laughs) it's intranet pages. Right. Talk to us about that and how you do it and what it does. Because if you're a supplier diversity manager, I want you to pause the recording, get a pen and paper, start it back up and listen to what's about to happen because this is critical. This is a miss for all of us. I'm not pointing the fingers at you guys, pointing the fingers at all of us who have been in this space. If we have ever gone to a conference and not done a write-up, you've missed the reason you were there. Okay, Lamicia, I set you up. Knock it down. Yeah. So, you know, the recaps that we do, typically they they cover one, our purpose for being there. Um, so whether it was to meet diverse suppliers, how many did we meet if we did matchmakers, we're providing the information of the suppliers where it's applicable. GDPR is a real thing. Um, so we don't always do that for our European <laughs> conferences. Um, but we also let them know, you know, this might be a highlight of a supplier we've met and this is why. And then also any any key things that are related to our company that were, you know, relevant. So for instance, um, at NGLCC, they were talking about technology and what's going to be the fourth and fifth wave of technology. So, you know, putting that in because we are a tech company. So it's good to hear what the industry is talking about. You know, we also had two of our suppliers, unbeknownst to us, who had collected collaborated, but they had met through Meta and then they collaborated and gave a panel. So being able to talk about the wins that your team has made at the conference, be it just the number of suppliers you've met, uh, the connections that you think you can make for people, and then giving them that touch point of, you know, if you have any questions, reach out, or if you'd like to go to a future event, let us know. These are our upcoming events. We we use our, our channel as well to talk about future events that we're going to, inviting sourcing managers to attend, um, other business uh, units who may have a specific need that they're looking for in the future. We're open to them coming because they can do and they can have a more robust conversation with that supplier than we can sometimes when we're acting on their behalf. So, you know, we are always trying to make those direct connections where it makes sense. And I think that's, you know, the most powerful way that you can use your recaps is to help people understand what you've done and what you still want to accomplish and how they can help you. Oh, that is awesome. Thank you for that. Now, one other thing I want to go back to in the storytelling impact part of this, right? You mentioned the ever-growing popularity of the impact report, right? Chloe and I have had episodes on this. I think we talk about this at least once a month in some form or fashion, The impact report is really starting to pick up speed. And I love what you said about telling stories with the data. So I think a lot of times we, you know, there's one particular third party that I think everybody uses to generate impact reports. And a lot of times you can pick up an impact report and go, oh, I know exactly who read this. And now it's almost becoming to the point where it's like, and I don't need to read anymore because I know where the data is going, right? If you've read enough, you can almost look, you know what I'm saying? So 
talk to us a little bit about how are you guys at Meta, and especially Lamisha, with your background of storytelling, helping make your impact report kind of stand out? And what are some of the things maybe our SD managers can take away or start thinking about to make theirs more company-centric and tell their story, not just the ubiquitous impact story, as I call it? Yeah, I think the most important thing for us, and I will say, you know, we we say that we put our we publish our impact on our website. It's not a full impact report because we're doing it ourselves. We're not employing a third party at this point. Um, that's not to say that we wouldn't do so in the future, um, because we are starting to think about how do we do more than just talk about spend. And I know Nadia was on, and she talked about more than just spend. So for us. That's also really important for us, you know, thinking about what are, as we say, like, what are the metrics that really matter? Um, so certainly there's spin there, but then we're also looking at, for us um, internally, these are the things that we're also talking about, the percent of suppliers that we've used year over year. So we you know, nicknamed it same store sales, but how many of those suppliers have returning spin? Um, we're also tracking suppliers and their growth trajectory with us. So we've put them into buckets um, and we're trying to see how are we moving them into the next, you know, a spin bucket uh, a long time? How are we developing them? We're also thinking about our impact from the standpoint of like, how are we able to help other supplier diversity teams? You know, how are we able to share what we've learned and move that forward. So be it that we're talking on panels, et cetera, you know, what, what are some of those, you know, even those easy numbers of like, where have we gone and we shared what we've learned um, and how we've used our tools internally to make a difference. Um, but I think the, what what stands out from our data, I talked about this early on, we want to be transparent. So when you go to our website, we look, and mind you, we are meta, but it's still facebook.com backslash suppliers. <laughs> that hasn't switched over yet. I, uh, as the marketing comms person, we're working on it. But when you go, you can actually toggle through our data. So we have been doing that report since 2018. We published our first report in 2018, and those were 2017 numbers. You can see all of our data from 2017 to 2022. That's all published. You can go through, you can see how we've done with spin across the diversity categories. Um, so, you know, women, minority, LGBTQ, veteran, disabled. You can also see race and ethnicity data for the last three years. We've been publishing that. But we want to put that in your hands. And, you know, we know that sometimes we're doing better every year and sometimes we're not. But we we welcome those conversations. Um, we find that that's helpful for our partners um, of those organizations to tell us like, hey, we see that this is an area we can partner with, you know, by being transparent, by putting that into the hands of anyone who's interested, you know, it allows us to have a more robust conversation and for us to know that, you know, we've given you what you can. So I think that's probably something that would not change. I actually know that's something that wouldn't change for us in the future as we think about what's the next evolution. I know people talk about the number of jobs presented and, you know, the economy. We're, we're, we're trying to decide what is what is the true impact of supplier diversity and how do we communicate that in the future? I love that. I love it. I love that you have your data out there for anybody to peruse. That is just, I have to say, that's a world-class move. I don't know. I can't think of any other firm off the top of my head that's doing that, right? That's like, hey, poke the, poke the data. It, it is what it is, you know, and we, we can't change it. So that's wonderful. There are some, but 
the ones that I've seen are not dynamic like that, the way that that Meta's is. And there are a lot of organizations that are a little hesitant to share that information because it brings up conversations that maybe they're not ready to have. And I'm curious, as you guys put out these impact reports, and to your point, like transparency is better. Sometimes you're doing good, sometimes you're doing bad. What sort of conversations spur as a result? And I'm more curious, you know, internally, we know what people externally, people always have good things and bad things to say externally. But what sort of comments do you get internally when people are able to see the numbers in that way? Yeah, you know, I think it it has sparked uh, a drive for some some internal employees of saying like, oh, it looks like we're really low in this category. Like, how can we increase our spend? I think one thing to note about our spend, so one of our principles at Meta, and specifically because our team sits in finance, is report the past with certainty. So when you see our numbers, our external numbers that we publish, those are only certified diverse supplier spend numbers. Uh, So that means that Meta is certainly spending more with diverse suppliers, but because we cannot validate that with the certification, we do not report that. So what that means for us is, again, when people are seeing those numbers and they say, hey, this category looks a little low and this category looks a little low. Well, we have this initiative, and I'm just going to make this up, with veterans where we we think we might want to get more veteran-owned businesses. So, you know, maybe there's a way we can partner and, and look for, you know, more certified veteran-owned businesses. Okay, great. Or, you know, we do offer, you know, for some what we consider valuable suppliers that, you know, we see we have significant spend with and they... Um, they are not certified. We have the ability for teams to come to us and say, hey, we really like working with this diverse supplier. We want this band to count. Um, we foresee that we will have a future with them. Um, and so then we employ certification consultants to help these businesses get certified. We take on the cost of that um, because we know it's a time consuming. I'm sure you've done plenty of shows on certification. Um, so it's a time consuming process. So we have someone helping them through that process. So again, it's, it's the ability for them to say, hey, how can I help contribute to this based on how we're spending? Um, we did a full campaign back in 2021 where we were talking about, you know, everyone has influence. And so how do you use your influence with your spend? You know, we're here and we talk about meta. We want to, you know, bring the world closer together. and We have a lot of influence, but how are you doing that? Because every employee at Meta has the ability to buy. We are decentralized. So we need to make sure that we have tools in place um, from our supplier search um, when people are going in for contracts that they can find diverse suppliers they're readily available um, a number of things that we've been working on to make sure that you know people can get involved and find those diverse suppliers or recommend them to us if they if they've met someone and they're not already connected to our team I love that I love that see the power of communicating and sharing and being transparent is that one of the outputs is you get these champions who see that see that information and want to to support you guys. So for all of our supplier diversity professionals that are listening, when you have smaller teams utilizing communication outlets, you know, internally, you may get other people who want to support your internal efforts in a way that you were not expecting. And it allows people to just come into the fold and really make more of an impact. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think the thing about those is when you find those champions, 
Again, this is another part of communication, making sure that they're recognized. Um, so be it, you know, again, in that intranet, thank you, whomever, for doing what you've done and for introducing diverse suppliers. One of the ways that we've championed um, or, you know, been able to recognize our champions is that we actually created a badge. So again, I'm getting into the fancy stuff for us, but, you know, we have badges on our profiles um, in our intranet. And so, you know, it, we actually have a supplier diversity champion badge. Oh, I love that. So someone onboards a diverse supplier, spends with a diverse supplier, um, you know, attends an event to meet diverse suppliers, we can award them that badge. Um, and so that's on their profile. And, you know, people like to collect them. And no, yes. They really do. I mean, that's all key to adult learning, right? I mean, yeah. that's a huge key to adult learning. And that is brilliant. I absolutely love it. Yes, that's gamification at its core. Gamification, yes. exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and we have a thanks spot as well. So we have a we have the ability to write, you know, thanks for hashtag for being a diverse player champion. And, you know, that shows up to their manager. Their manager gets a notification when they get that thanks spot for being a champion. So oh, I love that. Who's ready to go join Meta's uh, supplier diversity team, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. It's a fun job. You know, it's, it's really fun being able to bring other people into the fold and help them discover how passionate they are and how they can make a difference beyond just our team. Because, you know, to close point, so many teams are so small. We can't do it all. We need, we need those champions. I love it. I love it. So you mentioned future proofing with respect to diverse suppliers. Could you delve just a little deeper into what that means for, for Meta and its global initiatives? Like future proofing supplier diversity and making sure that diverse suppliers, you know, are part of the fold in a sustainable way. Yeah. So a couple of things. Um, so we've we've always thought about the extent of the size of our team versus how large Meta is, thousands, tens of thousands of employees. And so um, there's a couple of things that we've thought about, and particularly in the area of tools. Um, we are a company that is based on having a bunch of talented engineers. Um, and so one of the things we thought about is like, how do we, and I know people use this word all the time, but how do we scale our efforts? So one of the biggest things was we thought about the tools. Meta has an internal, we build everything. So we have our own internal purchasing system called Biat. So within Biat, there's a couple of ways that, you know, we've been able to make sure that supplier diversity is visible and diverse suppliers are visible. So first is when you go into Biat, there's a banner that tells you like, oh, you can discover diverse suppliers um, for your work. So you can go into what we call diesel. It's our diverse supplier locator. That's my marketing um, background. I <laughs> love it. So, diesel. <laughs> um, so people can go in and search for diverse suppliers, um, look up, and that is actually powered by supplier IO. So we reskinned their Explorer tool and inputted all of our diverse supplier information, both prospective and onboarded diverse suppliers. So when you search, you can search for just, you know, suppliers that have a connection to Meta. And then if you need to expand, then you can go larger into the Explorer database to find diverse suppliers. The other part of it is um, we have a process called guided buying because, again, anyone can buy and not everyone knows how to buy. So they can start a process where they say, I need to buy X or I need a contract for X. Um, it'll ask them, do they know the supplier that they're considering? Or, you know, it asks for the purchasing categories. And as they're filling that out, 
there's a pop-up below that is then providing recommended suppliers and diverse suppliers are showing up first for them to select in case they don't know the supplier they're selecting. Or let's say that they're saying, hey, you know, I want to start an RFP for a service. Um, and so they'll say, do you have the suppliers in mind? They can input the supplier. There's a question that asks, is the supplier diverse? It's tracking whether or not they're putting in diverse suppliers. And so if they haven't, at the end, they'll say, hey, you haven't included any diverse suppliers. Would you like to? And if they say yes, then again, they can go to diesel and find a diverse supplier or they can say, hey, you know what, I'd actually like one uh, recommended for me. And then our purchasing teams who work on that area can then help them. So, you know, making sure that diverse suppliers are embedded within the process of people purchasing on the very front end. So it's not an afterthought of, oh, you've already completed this RFP and why didn't you include a diverse supplier? We're actually getting them on the front end. And that requires nothing from our team because we've already providing that information through our systems. So I think that's, you know, one of the main ways. And then again, you know, we've always talked about supplier diversity being embedded within the end-to-end process of purchasing. So, you know, how do we collaborate and make sure that we're easily collecting diverse supplier data um, when suppliers are being onboarded and we have the right and accurate information so that when someone goes to that supplier's page, they can see, oh, they're diverse, great. And you know, they, this fits the category that I want because I really want to support a women-owned business. And then they can work with that. Again, can't do that for every country because of GDPR. Um, we can't list all of the diversity attributes. Um, however, we are able to, you know, as much as possible, automate that system and really make it available. So I cannot thank you, Lamicia, for saying what you just said about your diesel tool and your procurement tool being integrated. I'm looking at you, Ariba. I want you to hear me, Ariba. <laughs> and I am actually calling out another company by name. So this means I am on a soapbox right now. Yes, <laughs> people, you can integrate your systems. Yes. I yes. am so sorry. This has been, and Chloe's known me for a number of years, and this has been my number one pet peeve. Get Adam fired up. Pull me back off the stage because I'm about to lose it. <laughs> Gripe. Yeah. Right? I, you're, duh. It can be done is all I'm saying. And if you guys learned nothing, I told you to take notes during the whole, you know, write a synopsis. I want you to get your IT people. Pause this show again. I want you to go grab your IT lead. I want you to go grab your CPO and I want you to go grab your Ariba lead. And I want you to drag them in front of your computer and ha- listen to what Lamicia said. They can be integrated. It works. It's automated. It drives results. Don't tell me it can't be done. Thank you, Lamicia, for validating my entire life. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. We all have our heels, Adam. We all and have- since apparently the show has now become all about me, <laughs> let's, let's shift over to another topic that I'm finding myself in the middle of that I have not been in for a while. And that's on the global scene, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm on the corporate side. What makes this show so much fun is Chloe's on the MBE side. I'm on the corporate side. So, you know, we get the two views all the time. It makes this show fun. But Meta is also a global entity, right? A lot of times I talk to supplier diversity managers. They're like, yeah, so I've been doing it at a small slash regional scale. Uh, Now I've been thrown into the international scene. I have no idea what I'm going to do. So I'm going to ignore it and stick to the 50 states, right? And territories. And that's, that's the story over and over and over again. We've even had 
some of the international firm or, you know, NGOs on our show. But talk to us about how are you guys doing? Those are challenges and opportunities we just don't usually see in our day to day out program. And you guys have some really unique programs as well, too. Right. So for one, right, you have an Instagram account for supplier diversity in the LATAM region. So talk to us a little bit about that. This would be a great way, I think, for us to kind of round out today's program, because this has been chop full guys. You're going to have to go back and listen to this one again. Uh, yeah. So I think I'll, I'll start out by saying that the greatest lesson we've learned about global is that you cannot just lift and shift what you've done in the U.S. Say that again. Global. Say it again and give me an amen. You cannot just lift and shift what you've done in the U.S. to the rest of the globe. Amen. That will not work. Thank you. That will not work. And, you know, I, I think we we didn't necessarily have any major issues. But again, this, this concept of GDPR has really helped us think about, um, you know, taking a step back and thinking about how do we collect data? How do we make sure that from the start, we're creating a process that is inclusive? Um, and I think that is the biggest that has been the biggest charge for me over the last year, especially being in charge of our marketing and comms. So, you know, one of the things was making sure that, you know, I think in the last year, you've seen the shift where we're talking more to our suppliers around the globe. Before that, we were very Norm specific. We didn't actually expand our efforts uh, for, glo- for global until 2020. Ha 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 to us. Uh, <laughs> we decided that at the beginning of the year, we would do that. Um, and then we had to, you know, adjust as everyone else did and really figure out what we were doing. So 2021 is really when we started in the ground running. And then in 2022, by then we had in place our full-time person in LATAM who's based in Sao Paulo. Um, And we also have a full-time representative in EMEA. She's based in London. And then we have uh, another person who oversees the APAC region. She's a sourcing manager and she double duties and helps us with supplier diversity because she is passionate about it. So, you know, um, we hosted our 2022 Diverse Supplier Summit, and I kept saying summit. And then one day my coworker said, well, actually, it's four summits. And I was like, yes, there are four summits because we have to address each region where they are in terms of supplier diversity and helping them understand how Meta is doing, how to do business with Meta, what supplier diversity is, what it really means, and then providing content that's actually relevant to those suppliers. So we had four different things. And, you know, just in thinking about and developing that content, you know, four different uh, sessions, you know, how do we make sure that it's relevant to each of those suppliers? That took a lot of, you know, talking to our NGO partners and thinking about, like, what do they really need to know about certification um, in this conversation and how do we bring that forward to them? And that actually was the precipice for, we had started it before the summit, but for starting our Instagram for a LATAM program. Um, So our work in LATAM, we have a special Instagram for that. A lot of the content is in Portuguese because we need to speak in language. Um, as we're, ta- we're talking to people about what is supplier diversity, what does it mean to get certified, and what are the agencies there who can help you, such as Integrity and the Columbia LGBT Chamber, we're putting out information there in language, in culture. Um, it looks different from our, what I call our global uh, supplier diversity channel. And so, you know, that has helped us be able to tell the stories of suppliers, to tell, you know, how Meta is working with suppliers 
Myers and Latam there. And, you know, I, I think eventually I'd love for it to all merge together. Um, and so you'll start to see what I hope is, you know, bilingual or multilingual content on our global supplier diversity channels, where you will see suppliers from all over the globe. And you're starting to that now we've been working with a with a diverse agency um, on our social media to really um, tell these stories and a number of other agencies to help produce the content. So you know, one again, it's understanding the landscape, it's understanding the regulations that you're going to go by, and then designing something that is actually relevant for the market. And you know, even with an APAC. What we can do in some countries, we can't. And so the focus is different. And just recognizing that, you know, finding out and developing. I think the biggest thing that some people may have, you know, again, getting back to that impact, like what is the what is the spin goal? It, but should it even be a spin goal? Should it just be like a supplier acquisition goal or a supplier, you know, like so training what, and what development goal? Yeah. 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 So many other ways. Really drive yeah. your growth in right. the region and and using that to guide your your actions. Intentionality, storytelling getting people engaged, being thoughtful about all the regions that you're in and having different strategies. This is, I mean, you've dropped so many gems here and we just thank you so much. This has been an amazing show, Lamicia. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for giving us your time this morning and sharing with our audience all of these wonderful insights and just kind of behind the curtain view of what's going on there at Meta. Yes, yes. Thank yes. you for the opportunity. Um, if anyone wants to follow us, and I encourage following us yes. at Meta Global Supplier Diversity. That's both our Facebook and our Instagram. You're welcome to do that. And if you're a diverse supplier listening to us, you're onboarded with us. We actually have a Facebook group for you. So imagine that well. Meta has a Facebook group. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Lamicia. Be thank sure to connect you. with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Reed and Adam Moore. And if you enjoyed this episode, Make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcast and check out our previous shows. Stay tuned for next time. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.